everyone, Kirk here. As I am working on Strong Songs Season 6, I wanted to drop some old bonus episodes into the main feed that a lot of you probably haven't heard since they were previously Patreon-exclusive, but no longer. Now everyone gets to hear them. So here's another one of those. This is a bonus episode that I recorded along with my fall 2022 episode on Weird Al Yankovic's song The Biggest Ball of Twine in Minnesota, a super fun episode that I remain very proud of to this day. I hope that you enjoy it. I am going to throw it to my past self to take it away. All right, so I want to talk about some songs from a few different Weird Al albums. They're the ones that I'm most familiar with since they're the ones that I listened to when I was a kid, and that was when I did most of my Weird Al listening, though, like I said, I've continued to appreciate and enjoy his career over the course of my life as I've gotten older. And in particular, I want to do some A-being between Weird Al's parodies and the original recordings that he's based those parodies on, since in a lot of cases, it's pretty remarkable how good a job he and his band and his engineering team do of recreating the sounds of those original recordings. So let's start with a song that I did manage to mention in the main feed episode, Dire Straits Money for Nothing. Like I said, this Weird Al parody was actually my introduction to this song, but I loved it the minute I heard it and eventually sought out the original recording. It's one of the first guitar solos that I can ever recall loving, and it just really did it for me. The tone, the groove, the whole thing. At the time, I didn't really associate Weird Al with cool music, but this song, which kicked off the album, this was legitimately cool. Now, something that I mentioned on the episode is the fact that the guitar solo was actually recorded by Dire Straits frontman Mark Knopfler specifically for this parody, which is unusual for Weird Al. Usually his band recreates all the parts, but in this case, this was one of Knopfler's preconditions for letting Yankovic do the parody at all, was that he would play the guitar part and Dire Straits keyboardist Guy Fletcher would also join the recording. And it's a great solo, no doubt. I mean, I loved this as a kid, but a funny story that I saw online is that apparently Jim West, Al Yankovic's guitarist, had spent a long time getting the solo down, assuming that he was going to be the one playing it, so he was nailing the tone and the feel based off the original recording, he was ready to go, and then if he had recorded the guitar part, there's a chance that the parody would have sounded more like the original recording. See, he was basing his recreation on that recording, really trying to get it to sound exactly like the record, which is a way more challenging proposition than it may sound like for reasons that I'll get into in a little bit, but anyway, Knopfler had been playing this song live for years at this point, Money for Nothing is from 1985 and this was 1989, so he played it a little bit differently than he did back when he originally recorded it. I actually think that's really cool, so I wanted to do a comparison between the two solos, both played by Mark Knopfler. So first of all, here's the original Knopfler solo on the original 1985 record. We start with this extended synth bit with guest vocalist Sting singing that iconic line, I want my MTV. And yes, in an earlier episode of Strong Songs, I once referred to Sting as the guy because I didn't know it was him and let that just go to show that guess what? It's okay to sometimes not know things. The band comes online and builds to this beautiful crescendo. And then it's Knopfler time. What a disgusting solo. Man, I still love that solo 
all these years later. And it does sound a little bit different than the version that Knopfler recorded a few years later. A lot different, actually. So while that's still in your ears, here's the version that he recorded with Weird Al Yankovic four years later. So it still rips, it's still a great solo, but it's subtly and not so subtly different in a lot of different ways. It's got a pretty different tone, it sits a very different place in the mix, and he plays the riff slightly differently. Here's the first phrase of the original. And here's the parody. Original, parody, so yeah, they're pretty different. The parody is panned slightly to the left and it sounds more, well, it kind of sounds more normal, for lack of a better word, like a guitar played through an amp. The original just has something weird going on. It's stereo panned and you can feel a little bit of phase cancellation happening, like it cuts a hole out of the middle of it in a certain way and has this sort of like MIDI cue thing happening. It almost sounds like it's being played through a half-cocked wah-wah pedal or some sort of a filter. It's a really good guitar tone, and if you're a guitarist, none of what I just said is news to you. You've probably had similar thoughts and spent some time thinking about that original Money for Nothing guitar tone. It's an extremely famous guitar tone, and part of the reason it's famous is that no one has ever properly recreated it, not even Knopfler himself. Knopfler has said that he was going for a sort of Billy Gibbons kind of a tone. Gibbons played guitar with ZZ Top. If you've listened to any ZZ Top, you're familiar with that sound. It's that kind of scooped out, groovy Les Paul thing. And Knopfler switched from his usual Fender Stratocaster to a Les Paul just for this song. He's also famous as a finger-picking player. Knopfler never used a pick, and that fact is crucial to the whole structure of this riff. If you've ever tried to learn it, this is not a riff that you play with a guitar pick. But as for the tone, as recording engineer Neil Dorfman recounts in this really interesting 2006 Sound on Sound article about the production of Brothers in Arms, that's the 1985 album that this song is from, one of the most incredible rock albums of all time, you've probably heard it, that guitar tone was actually a happy accident that they never fully reproduced. Here's Dorfman. I remember Mark's Les Paul Jr. going through a Laney amp, and that was the sound of Money for Nothing. We were actually going for a sort of ZZ Top sound, but what we ended up getting was a kind of an accident. Mark would be in the control room, and we'd run a lead out to the main area, and I'd remember getting a channel set up to monitor, heading out into the room to move the mics around, and Mike's guitar tech, Ron Eve, getting on the talkback and telling me not to touch anything because it sounded amazing as it was. He then describes what it looked like and why he was trying to change things. Quote, One mic was pointing down at the floor, another was not quite on the speaker, and another was somewhere else. It wasn't how I would want to set things up. It was probably just left from the night before when I'd been preparing things for the next day and hadn't really finished the setup. Nevertheless, whether it was the phase of the mics or the out-of-phaseness, what we heard was exactly what ended up on the record. There was no additional processing on that tune during the mix. Later on, we tried to recreate that guitar sound at Power Station with the same amps, 
same setup and the same models of microphone, but we could never get it. I'd drawn extensive pictures and had a little map of how everything was set up, but there must have been something weird going on to make the guitar sound that way in Montserrat, because in New York it sounded like a cleaner, karaoke version of the same thing. I messed with it for a good couple of hours, but Mark was just getting bored and wanted to move on. The whole thing was very confusing. Later on, a lot of people asked me how I got the sound on the record, but it was just one of those happy accidents that have not happened to me very often. I really recommend reading that Sound on Sound article. It's got a load of interesting fun facts about the making of Brothers in Arms, and this is such a good example of the sort of happenstance magic that comes up every so often in the studio where the microphones manage to capture a perfect sound, and you can only hope that you manage to hit record in time. Look at them yo-yos. That's the way you do it. You play the guitar on it. So that comparison led to a rabbit hole that I wasn't expecting, but let's go through a few more of them really quickly, just because these comparisons are fun. This is Spam, also off of UHF, and one of Weird Al's many lunch meat obsessed parodies. And I really get a kick out of this one because they just perfectly ape the sound of the R.E.M. original, especially the intro. I mean, listen to the original. That organ sound, the one guitar chord at the beginning, the slap bass fill, it is pitch perfect. They must have spent forever getting this right. Just the attention to detail is really impressive. Like, this must be John Schwartz on his cymbal bell. He does this little ding-da-ding during the guitar chord. Listen for it. Now listen for that same thing in the original. It's a little bit different timbrally. It's probably some different kind of bell or different kind of cymbal. It's panned slightly different, but they've nailed the feeling and the pulse of the intro. And I would love to be in the room with this band while they work out one of their parodies just to see what their process is like for dialing in another band's sound. So now quick, tell me, which voice do you expect to hear? Is it going to be Kurt Cobain or is it going to be someone else? No, in fact, this is Smells Like Nirvana from 1992's Off the Deep End, which honestly, again, a pretty impressive job here of capturing that wide, spacious grunge sound. Here's the original. You know, it's bigger, it's rawer, it has a bit more of that certain spark to it, but all the same, the differences aren't that humongous. I've 
a lot of crossfades between different recreations of classic recordings and the recordings themselves, then I mean, it's different in ways, but they've got it. I actually really recommend doing this some on your own. I've never sat down and just A-B'd Weird Al parodies with the originals. And I mean, doing that does give you an appreciation for how great Weird Al's band is. That's pretty impressive how close they're able to get. But the differences are also instructive and they give me at least a stronger appreciation for what makes the original recordings, like any of these that I've played here, what makes those special. And it's because of the musicians who perform the original songs, first and foremost, just their fingers, their voices, the ways that they felt and interpreted the music on that day in the studio, and also the tones that they chased down. A lot of these players spent a lifetime developing different types of guitar tone or vocal tone or drum sounds. But really, it's also a way to appreciate the art of audio engineering. This is why audio engineers spend so much of their energy obsessing over color and flavor and timbre. A recording like Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit, that's off of 1991's groundbreaking album, Nevermind, it has such a distinct sound. As good as Weird Al's band is, and as fun as it is to listen to their recreation, they can't recreate that recording perfectly because you just can't recreate that. I mean, this is the sound of lightning in a bottle. One last comparison that I want to make in this mini-sode is because I want to spend a little bit more time highlighting Weird Al as a vocalist, which is something I don't think that he actually gets enough credit for and something I didn't manage to spend that much time on in the main feed episode. Though, if you listen to that episode, hopefully you did listen to that before listening to this, you may have noticed the high B-flat that he hits at the very end of Biggest Ball of Twine in Minnesota. That is no joke. A high B-flat, that's full-on like Steve Perry register. Here we go. They just fade away with that perfect blend. That's no joke. So as part of his gig, Yankovic has to keep up with a bunch of the greatest singers of his contemporary age. And I've always been impressed by how fearless he is as a vocalist and how up for it his voice almost always winds up being. Obviously, he can't sing in his upper register like Steve Perry, who among us can, but he has a very flexible voice and he seems so comfortable with it. He really likes to play around with it and just mess with different sounds. One gag that I've always liked is his take on Aerosmith's Stephen Tyler. Tyler, at the end of their 1993 song, Livin' on the Edge, Tyler does this little freestyle, and I will just mention that to me, to 13-year-old Kirk, this was just the height of rock and roll. I always enjoy Steven Tyler's scat singing whenever he decides to do it. That ending just really stuck in my head the first time I heard it, and apparently it stuck in Weird Al's head too, because on Alapalooza, his next album, after Off the Deep End, Alapalooza came out in 1993, and kind of an underrated album. Doesn't have as many parodies, but it's got some really great style parodies and original songs. That song, Frank's 2000-inch TV, pretty great. Anyways, on Alapalooza, he does a parody called Livin' in the Fridge that's very silly, but it has a fantastic ending 
where he perfectly apes Steven Tyler's scat singing. And he begins it by singing not just a high B flat, but a high D, a major third above the final note of Biggest Ball of Twine. So really kind of an underrated vocalist in my opinion and someone whose singing I've always appreciated. Okay, and wait, one more thing. Before we go, I do have to mention one other Weird Al recording, the closing track off of 1993's Alapalooza, a polka cover that isn't a medley, it's a cover of a single song, and not just any song, a strong song. And not just any strong song, but a strong song that, on the episode that I made about it back in year one, I said had proved itself remarkably resistant to covers. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? <laughs> yes, Weird Al Yankovic's Bohemian Polka might just be, pound for pound, the most technically virtuosic polka he's ever recorded. Open your eyes, look up to the skies and see! It's also easily one of my favorite covers of this song. It is an outrageous recording, especially listening to it now with my adult ears and my adult's appreciation for incredible musicianship. This band rips. Like here, check this out. This is Weird Al's take on the strategic Brian May deployment that occurs early in the original song. Just legitimately burning. So that's just a little bit more Weird Al for you. I hope it inspires you to go and do some comparisons of your own to appreciate not just the technical skills of the man and his band, but the inimitable qualities of the original recordings as well. Those magical sounds that even the most skilled parody artists couldn't hope to reproduce. That'll do it for this bonus mini-soda. I hope you all enjoyed it. And I hope you all liked the main feed episode about Weird Al as well. This has been really fun. And as you can tell, I mean, there's a lot to say about this guy just because talking about Weird Al means talking about all of music for the last 30 or 40 years. I mean, he basically was a mirror or a prism through which popular music was reflected over and over and over again. So anytime you talk about one version of Weird Al, you're talking about a whole era of music. So there's really just an endless amount to talk about because there's an endless amount to talk about when it comes to music in general. I really hope this new movie that's coming out is good. It looks very funny or at least very silly, but even if it's terrible, we'll always have Weird Al's music, all this great stuff that's fun to listen to, laugh at, and talk about. And hey, thanks past Kirk. It's present day Kirk here to bring things home. Thanks as always for listening to the show. If you want to support the show and if you want to get that season six premiere early, you can become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash strong songs. And just a reminder, that's the only way I make any money off of strong songs. So it's really what makes it possible for me to make the show. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to everyone who's become a patron. And I will see you in two weeks with another bonus episode. And pretty soon after that, for season six of Strong Songs. Yeah.